Hello. You're listening to our podcast, Strawberry Week. I'm Hattie Young. I'm Bex Young. And Strawberry Week is a fortnightly conversation between two feminist best friends chatting about topical taboo areas affecting women. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Strawberry Week. In this episode, we'll be carrying on the conversation around revenge porn. Last week, BBC released a story titled Stolen Naked Images Traded in Cities Around Europe. And the article accompanying the story was quite short, so I thought I'd just read it so we can get some background on the issue. More than 70 women in a small English town have had their private, often naked, images stolen and shared online by people living in their community. The indecent images, including some of underage girls, are thought to be taken via hacking or provided by people known to them and uploaded anonymously on a website which features women from across the world. Members of this online forum specifically request and target girls in the places they live in, trading images for free, quote-unquote, like Pokemon cards. The BBC has spoken to about a dozen victims in one town who have banded together and set up a group to try and get justice. The women in the video shared their experiences and we contacted Ruby asking if she would share more information about her story. We are fortunate enough to have Ruby with us today first-hand to talk about her experience. Hi Ruby, thank you for coming on to the podcast. Lovely to be here. So there's been this great momentum over the last few weeks and you've done quite a few interviews already, haven't you? Yeah, there's been a huge amount of momentum actually around uh, this topic, um, sadly because of some other news items, but I think it just adds to that whole narrative of violence and crimes against women and girls. Um, so yeah, it's been a very busy time. So that was obviously since the release of your story on the BBC article. And what has that been like emotionally for you personally? It's been a bit of a mixed one. I mean, the the discovery of this horrible website um, happened actually last year, summer 2020. And since then, I've been harbouring quite a lot of anger at the system and at the kind of society that we live in. And so in a way, it's been quite cathartic to have that release and that platform to speak out about it. Um, but it's also been quite draining. And of course, we are in a victim's WhatsApp group um, with a large amount of the girls that are affected. And um, we're always supporting each other, but it can be quite um, draining at times, emotionally draining. You're trying to keep each other's spirits high, but then no real progress is being made. So it's been nice to get everything out there in terms of the news story and to raise awareness because that seemed like a little bit of optimism in a bit of a dark time. Yeah, I suppose it's definitely been a part of the wider conversation at the moment as well. Yeah, for sure. And it's nice to be able to uh, be a voice for people who do feel unable to speak out as well. So um, I've kind of, I know that I'm in a more privileged position uh, because my photos in particular weren't as explicit. So I'm more able to speak out. So I thought, right, I've got to do this. (laughs) Um, How did you first find out about the website? So... I was alerted to it in a very similar way to a lot of the girls that I know. Um, Someone messaged me on Instagram. I went to college with them, so I kind of knew them. They're a year below me. um, And they just said, sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but um, there's this website. And unfortunately, I'm on it. And just below my pictures are your pictures. Um, And then she said, I can send you the link if you want, or if you'd rather not look at it, I can screenshot um, the images for you. Um, So obviously, I was like, whoa, what's going on here? Um, what pictures are these and I was trying to rack my brains a little bit as to what could be out there um, but I did follow the link and had a little look um, at for the pictures myself. Were you aware of websites like this before this happened to you? 
Yeah, so I was actually aware of this specific website. Um, one of my friends six months earlier, so this is January 2020 now, like over a year ago, um, had a very similar message again on Instagram from someone looking out for her. Um, and she was really distressed um, by the discovery of this website. Her images in particular were really explicit and she came to me for advice. So I did have an awareness of the website. Um, so obviously I wasn't expecting to end up on it, um, but I, I, it was less of a shock in a sense because I knew of its existence. Um, and yeah, but before that, I didn't realize there was such kind of platforms and such a, a system like a nationwide or global operation to collect these images of women and girls it's just quite scary really yeah I think we were both saying we were naive to it as well and definitely like you say to the scale of it you know it being worldwide like you said this one but having sort of like a local presence it was really yeah almost a shock to us as well so you met you mentioned that you knew that your friend um was on the website prior to to you but what was your initial reaction when you found out? Was it a kind of shock or how, how did you feel when you found out? I think um, it's kind of, it's like when you feel kind of the pit of your stomach kind of just drop out. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it because obviously I think um, for women of our generation, it, you're going to be hard pressed to find someone who has never taken a picture of their body, whether that's a bikini photo whether it's um, a fitness progress picture, whether it is in a relationship, a more intimate image. Um, and you just suddenly try and like scan your brain and rack through your memories and think, well, what is there of me out there and what have they possibly got hold of? And for me personally, I was thinking, well, I don't think it's going to be an ex-partner because I'm on really good terms with um, all of my exes. I say all of my exes. I don't have thousands of exes, <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> I have a few and we finished on good terms so I didn't think it would be any of them um and then I was just thinking well what are these images and when I actually went on to find them they were images of me when I was 17 um from a girl's holiday and they were jokey images a bit of banter uh, we had a joke about the hotel uh towels being too small in the rooms and there's one that's not mm. quite going all the way around my butt um and then there's another one where I got sunburnt and I'm just like lying on the bed without a top on but nothing explicit um because my friends were rubbing after sun into my back so like things that should be good fun memories that were maybe a bit risque of me to put on Facebook originally um but at the end of the day this is yeah. over 10 years ago I mean information and education around online security and safety is a lot better now and I think there's this kind of whole generation of women and girls in particular who have been caught out in that overlap between technology getting much better and maybe the understanding about safety and online security less so um, and I think that's really important because a lot of the images so my images were taken off my private Facebook um, my friends images were hacked from her iCloud and some of them were uploaded as from more of a revenge porn perspective so there's various amount of ways that these images are um, obtained um, but ultimately they mm. all end up on the same platform which has that very local categorization despite possibly being cyber hacks or whatever yeah so that they all have a sort of different origin but they're all grouped into the same area and viewed in like you said your images weren't particularly sexual but they're being viewed in this sexual kind of manner and they're because they're on this this system and it's interesting you said about the, the local side of things as well um because obviously it is a global issue it does affect women all across the world like you said and 
we were interested as to whether the police treated it as a local issue or a global issue and which you think is the best way of dealing with it. Yeah, so um, where I'm from, um, my hometown that was affected by this kind of uh, bout of images um, is quite a small community. Um, it's quite, uh, it is it's technically connected, but it's very kind of small town mentality. Um, and I think the police weren't really that well trained or equipped or prepared for such an influx of reports from women and girls in the area. I mean, there were 30 reports made in 36 hours, and that just tells you the speed at which this link is traveling around the community. And um, there was only one handling officer assigned. There was, uh, he was male, so possibly wow. not the best choice uh, to deal with a crime that mainly affects women and girls, mm. um, and particularly the reports at that stage. And it just seemed like they didn't have the capacity or the training to really understand what they were dealing with. Um, and I think quite, um, quite a lot of the approach was to put it down to a cyber crime which meant that it was quickly whisked off to the regional cybercrime unit. And that failed to acknowledge the local element of it. I mean, these photos, yeah, they're all of girls in one area, but actually there's information on there in the comments that make it a lot more threatening. And some of that information is purely characterized by local knowledge. Like there's no other way that you would know what schools we went to or where we work or our relationships, our siblings. Um, that is the kind of stuff yeah. that you don't easily get from a cyber hack. So that was more unsettling that the police didn't see that side of it, I think. Yeah, so it's kind of deferred quite early on to another team and that wasn't perhaps taking into account as much as you would like the local aspect of it yeah absolutely and I think um something that was really interesting to me because I was 17 in my images as soon as I told them that um their police officers in station couldn't look at the website anymore Mm. because they didn't have the authority to look at underage images so suddenly how can any investigation for any of the women and girls take place if the officers trained at my local station cannot investigate or pursue any lines of inquiry it just seems like a huge loophole in the law or changing and obviously that's in place to protect um minors and stuff but where where is where does the local and the national regional line stop you know and how do you support victims on a local scale even if it is a cyber crime i think it's a bit worrying yeah definitely especially as you said um, there were there was a huge volume of people on the site and obviously it is a global and national issue so it's sort of fair enough to assume that you're going to have people in the regions who are going to be equipped to deal with it because it's so widespread. But Yeah, and I, I think it's scary as well that they didn't kind of see the whole point of, you know, this isn't just one person either. These are multiple people that have like almost banded together to do this mm. in one local area. Um, you know, it's not just one person doing it to one other person either, even though that would still be awful. It's multiple people. Um, so early on in the investigation, did you have more confidence in it? And then as time has progressed, you know, and they've put it to the cyber crime unit and things like that, had less confidence in it as time's gone on? I think um, to begin with, it seemed it wasn't a negative response. I mean, I felt like the desk officer took the report seriously, took the incident seriously. Um, but one of my main concerns was that there wasn't an immediate response. Now, that's because maybe the police don't have the authority to shut down a website or block it. That's like a home office issue. But it felt like it wasn't moving quick enough as per how quick the link was circulating. 
And my friend who was originally on the website was getting more and more distressed because her images were right at the top of the thread. So every time someone saw it, they were messaging her. And that was obviously for someone who's just discovered they're on a website, that is distressing in itself. But she'd had kind of six months of worrying someone was going to find the link and then suddenly boom it's out there and it was really affecting her and that made me quite anxious for her um and I mean when we were all promised uh, as victims we were all promised a follow-up call um soon after uh, our log and actually even today kind of 10 months on some victims haven't had a follow-up call which is really bad um kind of victim support mm. um but it's shocking yeah it's it's really worrying and I understand that you know police officers are on shift and you know they they do have their own lives as well but with something like this it just felt like people needed that follow-up in particular and I think um some of the girls didn't feel it was well handled and they did actually raise complaints like formal complaints with um their follow-up call um, saying that the, the guy on the phone was yawning and saying he didn't have much time and that's really not what you want to hear when wow. you have just been faced with like this big expose of your life essentially so yeah because yeah. it's interesting because if you look at the, the prosecution rates as well and particularly compared to you know physical sexual offences and obviously this isn't actually considered a sexual offence um, at the moment although that's being reviewed um, it's interesting to talk about a the prosecution rates but also how sort of seriously things are viewed or taken by the police like we just mentioned and the current prosecution rate I believe is is, is it seven percent for a revenge porn incident yeah so only seven percent at the moment uh, result in a prosecution and that's largely down to um the i'm going to say the kind of instability of the law at the moment you, you have there's this clause in there that you have to provide motive and the motive has oh. to have intent to cause distress mm. so that means at the moment which is just crazy to me um that admissible defenses are i did it for a laugh or I did it for a trade, I did it for money, mm. I did it for sexual gratification. All of those yeah. would get um, a defendant off, essentially. Yeah. And for me, that's really scary because regardless of whether they intended to cause distress, most victims are distressed. So it just, that bit needs to go, in yeah. my opinion, in order to get those prosecutions. Yeah, we discussed that in our um, part one for the series as well. Um, and we were both kind of saying it just seems so redundant because it's obviously going to be distress. You know, that's kind of inevitable that someone is going to be distressed by this. Um, but then it, it kind of sort of goes into that whole victim blaming narrative almost of, um, you know, this has happened to you. So what, mm. have, what have you done wrong? And that is it's quite unique to gendered crimes like this and can be disproved so easily yeah and I think it's interesting how you mentioned the victim blaming because since I've done these news stories recently um the BBC etc have released some social media coverage of it and the comments are just unbelievable some of the comments from people are just like oh well don't take photos of yourself then and it's not even don't send photos of mm. yourself it's don't take photos mm. of yourself these girls are stupid why are they why do they have n naked photos of themselves on their phone and it's like do you hear what you're saying you're mm. trying to like monitor women's behavior just to mm. reduce risk as opposed to pointing the finger at the people who are mm. exploiting these women and it's the same logic as well if you don't want your car robbed don't own a car like i don't understand mm. That these people who would think that's a ridiculous idea think it's okay to say, well, 
they should have been more careful. Like how much more careful can you get, particularly if your images are hacked in particular? But yeah. regardless, it's it's yeah. still really distressing, exactly. regardless of how they're obtained. Yeah. And like you were saying before about, you know, most women have taken pictures of their body at some point, you know, so they should, it's their right to. What are then women meant to be scared to even do that? You know, take pictures like, you know, like yours, you in your bikini on holiday. How are you meant to be careful about that? You know, that's just simple things that most women do do. Um, I know and the same response isn't given to men like mm. I mean something I found really quite sadly hilarious uh, was one of the comments that was on the videos underneath uh, the social media on Instagram I think it was was someone saying why even take uh, naked pictures of yourself just keep everything offline and then you click on that person's profile and it's a guy and his pro- profile picture is literally topless literally topless in the mirror and I was like <laughs> it's so ridiculous I was like have you heard yourself (laughs) you have to laugh because it's so ridiculous but the hypocrisy oh that it just it makes you think about this image of what women are meant to be like or how the respect that you gain is from what you look like or what you do with your body or images of it and it was interesting even when you were saying about your images being taken from Facebook as well you mentioned them being or oh, maybe they're a bit risque or but they're not risque it's just how people are perceiving it but we're taught you know consider this see if it's risque or not it's just ingrained into women isn't it but like you say this standard doesn't necessarily apply to to men so this this topic is something that the law commission is working on at the moment and I know you've been involved with that as well so I'd be really interested to know any sort of information that you've got about what you've been doing and whatever you can tell us about that yeah sure so um after I kind of came together with other victims in my area we started out seeing how we could make this better for future victims because sadly inevitably there are going to be future victims um and we wanted their experience to be more positive than ours was um so we did start by writing to the uh, chief constable of the police force um and that was kind of in motion where we were looking at it more on a kind of local and regional level um and then we linked up with a national campaign uh, called my image my choice um they're on twitter and instagram if anyone's interested um and they were already working on Uh, putting together a project for the Law Commission, because as you know, uh, different legislation comes up for review every so often. And it just so happened, uh, fortunately, this year, it was uh, the ones around revenge porn and image-based sexual abuse. Um, Mm -hmm. So unfortunately, I was involved at the start of the year. Fortunately, there was an opportunity (laughs) to do something about it. So um, yeah, I uh, offered offered to contribute um, my testimony to the Law Commission through My Image, My Choice, um, that was the first kind of step, really, in getting them to realise that the law is lacking. Um, they agreed and then they um, said they would conduct a full review, which took them a couple of months. Um, and in February, they uh, released their proposals, which was amazing because it was essentially everything we had been pressuring them on. And some of this pressure as well came from a petition that we launched in uh, December 2020 um, that's got nearly 50,000 signatures, which is amazing, but just outlining where the law is lacking. And for us, one of the major things was not having a base offence. So not having, uh, if you share Mm. images without consent, then that is a crime. Getting rid of that motive element and actually having that as a standard was a big thing for us. Um, Also categorising um image-based sexual abuse as a Mm. sexual offense because at the moment like you said it's not and actually that means that victims don't have anonymity and a whole other kind of uh wormhole 
uh, rabbit hole of other things that are lacking, like victim support. And the other thing it tackled was the use of technology, because actually technology is advancing very quickly and you can use Photoshop or whatever different programs to get someone's face on an image or a video. And that's known as deep faking. And it's so terrifying. It's really terrifying. I mean, mainly it happens to celebrities at the moment um, because I guess they're a public interest. So it just feels like more people target them, I guess, unfortunately for them. Um, But it's going to become more popular. And we wanted to make sure with My Image, My Choice that that was Mm. covered as well. Because at the moment, Mm. if someone deep faked a video of you, um, a pornographic film or whatever, you go to the police and say, they've made this of me. And, you know, I, I want it taken down. I want them arrested. They're trying to ruin my life. The police will just say, well, it's not of you, so we can't do anything. If that's not you, there's nothing we yeah. can do. So we wanted that to be covered as well. Yeah, because there's that wording, isn't it, of the depicted person. And that's the difficulty around that, particularly with deep fakes, um, which, as we all know, are becoming more and more common. Obviously, there was even a deep fake of the Queen's speech this year, which was scarily realistic. So that's that's not even on the horizon that's happening now and it's yeah it's definitely seems out of reach um of the current law like you say the silver lining of all of us is that it's finally being spoken about and it's finally being taken seriously but there's definitely a lot of lot of work to do i think um the law commission's proposals in their review have been really positive because they have taken everything on board and they've actually even thought of other elements that we might not have thought of like um what would be considered an intimate image in certain religions, for example. They've got that Mm -hmm. covered as well in their proposals, which is a really interesting point. Um, And I think, yeah, what the next steps with that is that it's open to public consultation. So um, it will take a while to change the law still, but it's going in the right direction. And um, it's just relying now on public interest and people uh, lending their voice to it and their experiences and saying this is important mm. to us because I think we all know someone that's either had the threat to share an image or has had their images stolen or, sh- or shared unfortunately. And obviously over the last couple of weeks in particular um, there's been a lot of talk around the narrative around women uh, in particular around gendered crimes and women's safety and having been a victim of uh, well, what I would consider a sexual crime even if the law doesn't at the moment what change would you like to see in the general narrative around women and what do you think that would sort of contribute in reducing violence against women in these sort of areas? I think the victim blaming narrative plays a huge part and whatever the kind of gendered crime is, um, there's always this element of, well, what was the woman doing to, to bring this on herself? And I mean, it's it's been ridic- ridiculous with some of the stories we've seen. It's just been so ridiculous because you've got like, oh, um, the Sarah Everard case, for example, which was so, so tragic. And she did in kind of um, air quotation marks, she did everything right. She was walking where there were streetlights. She was on the phone to her partner, telling her partner where she was going. She was texting her friends when she was going to get in. So what more do people want women to do to protect themselves? And I think it was really interesting when um, in Parliament, the Green Party suggested a curfew for men, 6 p.m., um, and there was absolute, yes, that had a bit of know, absolute <laughs> outrage. And it's like, well, you're essentially saying the same thing to women. You're just not saying yeah, that. That's what women do every day anyway, exactly. as soon as it gets so, dark, especially in 
winter months it might be four yeah exactly and I that's that's where a lot of this these issues come from because there is so much victim blaming regardless of the crime um and whether it's sexual or not um women always seem to be have to prove themselves as victims uh first which I think is really Mm. problematic it, it's like you said with the the car thing as well you would never have to prove you know that you owned this car and you had a reasonable right to have it on your driveway in the same way that you shouldn't have to prove that you are in control of your own body and your own images and it, it is pretty ridiculous isn't it yeah so um you t- you mentioned a whatsapp group what kind of support did you receive when this initially happened um and then further down the line as the as um, more women kind of ca- came out of the um woodworks to say that you know this has also happened to them um and where can maybe listeners go if they are also a victim of a crime like this yeah so um i think i was one of the lucky ones so to speak um i did get a follow-up call from the police i did get emailed victim support information um from them which was really helpful i would say the most helpful um source of support we found as a as a group uh, was the revenge porn helpline they are absolutely amazing they are a charity but they work tirelessly to you know help uh, victims of this crime and they will report images they'll try and get them down they'll contact site owners they always check in um they are just amazing so um, for anyone who does unfortunately experience this um and becomes a victim of this image-based sexual um abuse um definitely contact revenge porn helpline know that you are not alone and that there are so many other people um out there that have been through exactly the same thing and um yeah there's loads of charities as well refuge are really good for helping um women in particular in terms of crime so yeah there's loads of stuff out there and people shouldn't be ashamed and i think that's what we found from our from our whatsapp group like we banded together to support each other and to kind of give each other updates on the case but actually when we're talking, none of us are ashamed of of what we've done because we haven't done anything wrong. And it's nice to have that reminder. And if anyone's listening who has been through a similar thing or is worried um, that a similar thing might happen to them or does happen to them, unfortunately, then don't be ashamed of what you've done because at the end of the day, you are living your life Mm -hmm. and you shouldn't Mm -hmm. be punished for something that isn't, you know, a perfectly good thing to do. Like you, you should be able to express your sexuality. You should be mm-hmm. able to keep photos of yourself on your camera roll um, and know that if someone exploits that and betrays your mm-hmm. trust, that they will be prosecuted. And that's what we're aiming for. We're, you know, we're here to lift particularly women and girls up because 90% of these crimes um, with image-based sexual abuse happen to women, um, which is a huge staggering statistic. Um, but yeah, we're all in this together and there are places you can go and there's stuff we can do. It's just, this just kind of the one, I suppose, maybe silver lining to come out of this is that it really shows how people, you know, particularly women in situations like this can come together and support each other and that, you know, people are there for each other when, when, um, when you need someone. Yeah, definitely. And I think for, um, for like the men in people's lives as well. I think sadly it Mm. does take quite a big story like Sarah Everard's in the news 
for men to kind of sit up and listen. But men's platform is just as important as women's. Like we can only do 50% of the work. Um, and I think I'm going to actually share with you a text. Um, this is a bit show businessy, isn't it? But I'm going to share with you a text that I got. Um, this is from a friend who I've been friend with, friends with for 10 years. He's a really good mate. I kind of meet up with him every once a year, or maybe not in a pandemic, but right. um, just have a pint or whatever. Yeah. Um, and he texted me. I sent him a picture, a throwback picture from 10 years ago. And he said, um, wonder what we would have thought of ourselves of where we're at now at that age. And they said, I imagine we would both be pretty proud mm. of the work you've been doing, my image, my choice. And I was like, oh, that's that's really kind. And then he said, really made me think about my yeah. own complicity and what I can do better. And I was like, that's exactly it, isn't it? We love to see it. Um, yes. But it's, yeah. but it's important. And I think I was really pleased that he kind of shared that with me because he could have just done it, you know, he could have just reflected and internalized it and done it. But um, the fact that he mm. was like offering support and then saying, I am actually going to think about my mm. actions and behavior. Um, I thought, you know, it's a start, isn't it? It's a start in changing that dialogue, which is great. Yeah. And I suppose with case with things like that as well, it does give you hope as well. So I think that's the, th- I think, you know, situations like this and, you know, like we said earlier, the, the kind of wider conversation going on at the moment sometimes it's hard to kind of have that hope that things will change but yeah exactly situations like that and support networks really do prove that things can change you know humans aren't all bad yeah exactly um, yeah Yes, exactly. I've seen loads of that on social media as well, again, over the last couple of weeks. Lots of men coming together to say, what can I do to educate myself, educate my friends, yeah. you know, call out misogyny when I see it, when I hear it. There's a huge onus on women to do the do the work, quote unquote, in this area, but really it needs to come from men as well. Yeah, it's great to see that conversation happening, especially with a close yeah. friend of yours. That's quite emotional, really, isn't it? To receive a text like that. Yeah. I mean, and he's a, he's a good guy. Like, um, I've known him for years, but he was he was a lad once. You know what I mean? Like, you know, the lad the lad's culture. And I was like, wow, that's uh, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> it's positive as well, isn't it? As well as negative. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Ruby, for for talking to us and sharing uh, your story. It's been so great having you on the on the podcast. Yeah, it has been. Thank you. And we know you've done loads of interviews we really appreciate it but um I'm sure what you've said to us today is going to be really helpful for a lot of people because this is a widespread um issue that affects lots of young women so yeah hopefully opening up the conversation will make a difference thank you yeah absolutely and if anyone wants to get involved they can sign the petition of course it's on change.org my image my choice um and also the public consultation is open on the law commission so if anyone has their own experiences they want heard um you can submit that anonymously which is fantastic and that's my little plug done (laughs) yeah brilliant (laughs) and is is that open until um summer did you say june time and then um end of may end of may So this has been episode one, part two of Strawberry Week. In episode two, we will be covering the topic of women's safety. If you have any experiences or opinions, please feel free to DM us on our Instagram page at Strawberry Week Podcast. So our topic today was revenge porn. If you believe that you might be a victim of revenge porn and you would like some support, you can call the Revenge Porn Helpline on 0345 600 459 unfortunately they're currently operating an email only service due to the coronavirus lockdown but they can accept voicemails 
You can also use a whisper tool or an email on their website to get in touch with them. If you go to revengepornhelpline.org.uk, you'll find all the information there. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Thank you. Bye. Bye.